Are we all sanitised? <laughs> oh, yeah. From Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 110. My name is Simon Forster, and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. And hello, Perry. Hello, hello. Right, well, first of all, sorry for making everybody wait for two weeks. I think I think sorry is the correct one. I'm not sure if uh, we've done people a favour there or not, but uh, yeah, with a bit of luck, where uh, we'll manage to do a complete show with all three of us as well, uh, getting through all the way to the end, so uh, fingers crossed. So, first of all, I just want to thank um, Hamish Gill with his Pixelator and Nate Johnson with his Negative Lab Pro Lightroom plugin uh, for being with us well, two weeks ago, certainly for the last episode, and helping us to discuss um, film digitising in, in great detail, a show we've been threatening to make for nearly a year, and uh, we we absolutely did it. So, uh, so thanks guys for your for your help on that. I think it was, yeah, I think we went into as much as we probably could have done. Um, I know there was at least one person who uh, believed that perhaps we went a little bit too far on that one, but there you go. We uh, we can't please everybody. Um, so. Uh, this week, uh, let's head over to Hong Kong and uh, see what you've been up to, Perry. See what happens when we don't do a show for a week, when we miss a show. We really, really got to avoid that. Anyway, I, I didn't do shit. Okay. Johnny? <laughs> uh, I haven't done anything. I'm sitting at home. And I've done nothing too. Okay. <laughs> so, um, should we move, move on to emails or, uh, or, or was there actually something that happened there, Perry? Yeah, yeah, I got a, I got a couple of things um, going on because you know it, it. Since we last recorded, uh, when we missed an episode, um, things have changed somewhat. Uh, the, the context. Uh, so there are a few things that I've been doing in back in the before times, uh, and and a couple of things now here in the after times. Um, before the world went into sort of complete meltdown, I was looking for. Something to shoot that. Uh, oops, uh, something to shoot that. Th those Exacta lenses on because I, I just don't want to shoot an Exacta. Um, so I found a really nice local deal on a um, Topcon RE Super, uh, which I bought from a really lovely guy. And um, it was an old man who's had this lens for ages, but his eyes are starting to go. Uh, he's sorry, he's had this camera for ages, so his eyes are starting to go, uh, and he can't focus on these SLRs anymore. And when I when I met up with him to pick it up, uh, it, it's such a nice camera that I was kind of sitting there looking at it, um, checking out all its little bells and whistles. And then before we parted, he asked me if he could wind it and fire it one last time before I left. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that I I always love you know I always love moments like that. Um, there's it, it adds a little bit of meaning to a camera when you know that someone has kind of lovingly used it throughout their life, right? Yeah, you do, kind of, you do realize he says that to, to the about every camera that he sold, he sells, and he sold about a thousand this year already. Yeah, probably. I mean, we had a nice long chat about all the other stuff that he was shooting instead uh, in the meantime. So he definitely has plenty of of stuff at home that he's got to play with um, now that this this RE Super is in my hands. But I no, but I do I do love stories like that. You know, like my Nikon FM2. Uh, I used to have two of them, and I sold the silver one, but I can't sell the black one because the black one I bought from this young lady who uh, essentially her father passed away, and it was um, 
it was one of his cameras from his collection. And then after I bought it off her, she just she she just said to me, "Promise me you'll use it." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely use it." So I, that's one that I I just can't bring myself to sell because of that sort of sentimental story, you know. Yeah. So so this Topcon RE Super, mm. um, that's a that's a camera that I've I, I was after for quite some time, and I bought one with a. 58 1.4 so i was really really happy when i picked up a, a really good one a uh, good lens good camera and I, I i thought that camera was wonderful until i actually used it um have you used yours yet uh i fired a couple of frames through it yeah um and i've, I've played around with it a whole bunch but i haven't actually well, i haven't gone out and you know shot with it very much because you know that the world is falling apart no but it's it's uh there's a couple things that I really like about this camera um, as far as SLRs go. Number one, the winder is incredible. This is like the nicest. Mechanically, I think this is the nicest uh, SLR that I've ever used. It's even nicer than I think my Alpas, just in terms of like the way that it's put together and all the little touches. That's like, that's like you know, you have one, right? It's got an M3-esque winder in terms of just how smooth and satisfying that thing is to pull. Yeah. Um, and then I also love, you know, a, a couple little things about it, the, the way the film back opens, um, or in particular, the, the rewind dial, you know, when you turn it, 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 it raises up by itself. And then when you turn it back, it goes back down by itself. And it's just like one of those little touches that, you know, these, these engineers made back in the day that they just don't do anymore. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice when you come across a feature that doesn't have to be there, but it's just nice to be there isn't it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and you can tell that this was made in the era when you know Topcon, uh, Topcore was still pumping out it's really high quality stuff because back then it was like Nikon made all of the optics and stuff for the Japanese uh, Navy and Topcon was making the stuff for the army and then after the war um, when the US military was choosing its cameras I think they were choosing between this and the F uh, and between 196 was it 1961 and 1973 or something, um, they chose the RE Super over the Nikon F as the official sort of camera that they issued for the U.S. military, right? Uh, they did for the Navy anyway. I'm not yeah. sure about the the Army. Right, fair, fair. And you can tell why. I mean, it's just it's beautifully made. Even after all this time, the finder is really big. It's it's not the easiest to focus with, but it, it does the job. And everything is just working perfectly and just so well crafted. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, remi remind me not to buy cameras that have been chosen by the American Navy then, because the, the, a prior one was the uh, Kodak Medalist, which is another camera, which just like the, the Topcon, in my opinion, at least, is, is a great looking camera and has wonderful features, but absolutely horrible to use, in my opinion. Yeah, but back then, but with the medalist, they didn't really have a choice, right? They had to go American with that one. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I, but it is what it is with the with the Topcon though. It, it's just too square uh, for me. It's just just it's just way way too chunky. Um, I wasn't keen on the the viewfinder, but you've got like that um, uh, what almost like gouged out uh, underneath the glass of the mirror. Where the mm -hmm. where the metering is, and that 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 steals some light. Um, yeah, 
and um, it's just just the feel of the thing against my face. It just it just didn't it just didn't appeal to me. I I like to hold it, I, you know, and touch it and take the head off it and say, oh, I could I could use this as a waist level finder and all that kind of stuff. But none of those things I did, and I just was so happy to finish off the. I think I did two rolls of film in it, and uh, I was thinking that's it. I don't need to do that anymore. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, Simon, are you a left-eyed shooter or a right-eyed shooter? Right. Oh, okay, because, I mean, I, I, I switched. I had to train myself to switch from a left-eyed to a right-eyed shooter. Um, and I do find this camera of other of all the SLRs I've used to be, like, a, a little bit nicer for shooting with a right eye because that little, um, what is it, the, the film-winding thingy will stab you in the face quite hard because it's more of like just a solid hunk of metal hmm. I, I see what you mean though you know the the focusing screen I, I wish it had the focusing screen that's in the spotmatic um because it's not the easiest to focus like you can't the split image is hard to use and then the uh little circle outside and then the area outside of that are not not particularly clear but eh, that's slrs for you So um, I, I got this, I mean, it's a beautiful camera. It, 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 to me, it feels nice in the hand. But then again, I'm used to using Leicas where there's no, there's nothing like vaguely resembling a grip or anything on the side of it. Um, but I, I got this to use with my Xacta lenses, obviously, the 58 F2 Biotar and um, the Schneider Xenon that Johnny and I have uh, sequential serial numbers for. But then I, I was on Mike Ekman's site and I read that this, the Xenon doesn't actually work properly with this camera because um the rear element sticks out a little bit at infinity and it will jam the mirror like the mirror will hit it if you're focused at anything further than um like 10 to 15 feet yeah there's there's a few lenses that uh that don't work exactly right <laughs> on these are not you know what i mean the older exact lenses are not entirely interchangeable so but but apart from the uh, apart from the auto aperture, are there are there many others that have like protruding rear elements that will hit the mirror? Um, not that, but I'm looking for uh, I'm looking for a lens to put on mine. I don't see it. Um, but there's some with the uh, auto, you know, the auto, the arm on the side, and I mm -hmm. don't I don't think all of those mount either. Um. I've got one somewhere in this room, um, but yeah, it's not you know not every not everything is entirely going to work on these um, as compared to you know uh, an old as as opposed to one of the older exactas, right? Um, gotcha. I mean, it's that's kind of like the. It's kind of like the problem is the this le the lens mount is doing more than it ever really probably should have done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the mm -hmm. it, it's got a really small throat and and it it's like it, it's sort of like M42. Eventually they just gave up and came up with K mount because it was a better mount for auto aperture and even the yeah. way Nikon Nikon's, you know, problems as well. Um of hanging onto the mount for too long. Um, you know, it's the same sort of thing, but so yeah, some of the top con stuff is a little bit, uh, it's not entirely interchangeable between exact as in top cons, you know? 
so yeah, so what they what they did, right? Um, it, it, would it be fair to say that you know they chose an existing lens mount because there were loads of lenses from you know East Germany and stuff, and then they tried to make the lens mount do more than it was originally. Uh, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think that's a fair fair assessment. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I, right now I've got I've got some serious uh, exacta gas, um, and the only other lens that I particularly like committed to picking up is the Topcon uh, thirty five two point eight. Um, oh, but yeah. are there any other exact amount lenses that you guys? would recommend as particularly nice because I just think these lenses are beautiful. I'd, I'd love them. Oh, and I have a pen F adapter on the way. <laughs> um, I, can, I can think of a nice lens. Uh, that I've got an exactor and it's called the Carl Zeiss. Oh, screw you. 75 millimeter <laughs> F 1.5 Biotar. <laughs> oh yes. Apart from that one, I, I, <laughs> I have, I've used up my kidney quota for this year. There's a, a 20, what is it? A 25 millimeter. I think they call it a 25. The exacta or the, uh, Topcon is, oh, awesome. is, yeah. If you can find one, they've, they're, they've gone, you know, they're crazy expensive. Um, there's also that, what is it, either a 100 or a 105? Um, and there's, uh, is it the 85 is probably harder to find than any of the others. Topcon 85 millimeter. I'm pretty sure it's 85 millimeter. So Mike Novak speaks very, very highly of the 100 millimeter, uh, I think F 3.5 Topcon. Yeah. Uh, Ari Auto. It does look like a real, it's so compact yeah. for a hundred millimeter. Yeah. Oh, it's the uh, 85 millimeter 1.8. Oh Good luck. I don't think I've ever seen one of those even, even on the internet. Oh, it's it's insane. Yeah. The the 25 that you mentioned, is that the one with um the filters that clip onto the back of the lens? Uh I don't know. That's a good question, Perry. Let me take a look. I'm trying to see if the because I, I was browsing eBay a while back after I got this camera, and there was one wide angle talk on RE Auto uh lens. It, it, the listing on eBay came with all the filters and basically there's like a bayonet right behind the rear element of the lens. And then you clip the filters onto that bayonet. Oh, okay. Which, which I don't know if it was a 25, but it was a wide angle and looked kind of cool. I'm looking at the pictures to see if it, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. I see what you're talking about now. Yeah. It, there's a, yeah, it looks like it does click on the rear. That's cool. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you got to get one of those with um, with the filter set because the the Schneider Zenon that we both have, there's there's, I don't think there's a filter thread in it. Is there? Um, a, yeah, you can use a series filter. That's I have a, I have a series six adapter on mine on the front and just use the filters that way. So, so. does the adapter screw in? Because there's a thread, yeah. but the thread is like level with the glass. Yeah, so you wouldn't be able to put a filter directly onto that without touching the glass. Yeah, you just put a filter adapter on there and uh, do it that way. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, there's yeah. there's another there's another lens as well, and that's the uh, it goes by some other names, but uh, I know one called an Optinar 35 millimeter f 2.5. Uh, which is currently for sale on my uh, eBay shop for sixty nine ninety nine, and um, and that's uh, also goes under the 
the name of Fujitar and Fujita. I think that's right. Oh, that crazy thing. Yes. That, that lens, that lens, um, it, it's one of the first lenses of a certain kind of design, right? I was yeah. reading a little bit about that a while back, but I've forgotten everything. I think it's the first Japanese retrofocus lens. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's also, it's, also, it's also one of those lenses that's impossibly heavy for its size. Oh, like the, the Schneider's that on is as well. It's ridiculously heavy for how small it is. Yeah. So, but that lens came in exact. I thought it was for Asahi Flex. It might have been. Well, this this one I've got is on. Well, it's it's exact amounts, which I'm assuming it was actually designed for Topcon. I, I would imagine. That makes sense. But okay. one one thing I've noticed with, and this goes back to what Johnny was saying about, you know, there are differences between uh, Topcon RE and Exact, uh, to some degree at least anyway. And uh, I mean, certainly on, on this one, I, I could not fit this lens into my um, Exact uh, adapter uh, for next. So I haven't actually been able to use this lens. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's slightly fatter uh, than the Exacta. Yeah, that's... That's another kind of good point about the Exacta stuff is that they're they are not all going to be compatible with all adapters. <laughs> why why is that the case? Because on my adapter, um, I, I just have an Exacta to like M adapter. I know the the Biotar fits fine, and then the yeah. Zenon, I have to like wiggle it around to get it in. If if you look at the back of the lens, you'll see why, right? Um, I'm just looking for two exact. Yeah, so I have an Exacta lens in front of me, and I have a Topcon lens in front of me. And if you look at the if you look at the um, Topcon lenses, they've got you know the extra pins for the auto aperture stuff. Yeah, hold on, hold on. two two seconds. Let me just grab my. So I'll get my two. So there's a, there's at least two extra pins on them, so that can that that can cause problems. Wait, but okay, but well. then the 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 lens that um, the lens that Simon's talking about has a kind of old school is is a more old school looking exact amount, or is it more like the Topcon Ari autos? No, it's a, it's old school. It's there's no yeah. obvious difference between this and the uh, my my Zeiss. Right, because the two that I have are also old school, but the Xenon doesn't fit that well in my adapter, and they they don't have any of the kind of Topcon Ari auto. Bells and whistles. I think it's as much down to the the adapter um, than yeah than, than, than the lenses. Because I've tried this uh, Optinar in an Exacta camera and it fits fine. Um, so mm -hmm. it's it's more about the adapter than it is about the actual uh, uh, mount itself. Uh, yeah, that makes sense because same with me. Both lenses fit fine in both of my cameras, um, both my Exacta mount cameras. But just one doesn't fit in the ad adapter without a little bit of like fiddling around. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's weird. Yeah, I was I was annoyed because I I decided that oh, I'll I'll get another adapter, but I didn't want to buy another Exacta adapter for for Nex. So I thought, well, what shall I get it to? And I thought, well, I know, I'll get it for to Canon EOS. And so I I did it. I so I got one for that and to to try it on on that camera, um, and then found that uh, it hits the mirror. <laughs> so um, so I've been I've been done for. That's that's a point though. I have not actually tried my biotar on the canon which uh, that, that that could be good so i do like that canon especially for oh yeah certain kinds of shots is just a look that that uh, canon 5d mark one gives that's just a little bit special so, mm -hmm. uh, so and the biotar will balance so nicely on a 
sort of larger DSLR. Yeah, it's got the grip with it as well, so um, perfect. Oh yeah, I'm right, right. Do that. That's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm now inspired. <laughs> oh, dude, I haven't got my 5D Classic out for ages. God, putting exacto lenses on it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. Ooh. Yeah, go on. I was just going to say, I don't know what, what I've done with the adapter now. I probably threw it across the room in rage. So uh, <laughs> I might have to buy another. Oh, dear. It'll turn up. What about the um, what about the ingenue lenses? The the wide angle retrofocal. I think it's a twenty eight millimeter and the uh, ninety millimeter. Have you guys tried those? No, I've I've held the the wide angle one, but never actually tried it. Um, actually, that was a point. Um, didn't Michael Bartosek pick one up in a in a bargain bin for yeah, ten dollars? Yeah. He just got one for dirt cheap. Yeah, yeah, ten bucks. Yeah, and then he went back and then pulled some other um, something else out of the out of the bin, and then something else and something else. So, uh, yeah, he had he had a good trip to that store. Well, I, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews about the um, the ingenue, but the pictures that he shared look really, really good. Recently, at the camera shop, we had like two of those things come in. I th almost like d d one each day, two days in a row. Um, and the boss is like, oh, yeah, yeah. We used to see those things. <laughs> like, they used to be, like, so common. He's like, oh, yeah, we used to see those all the time. <laughs> so they were apparently very, very, very common lenses at one point, which is probably why he got them out of a bargain bin, because at one point, that's exactly the sort of thing that would have ended up in a bargain bin. Uh-huh. I mean, they're not hard to find in Hong Kong. They're just crazy expensive. Yeah. Both, uh, both the 90 and um, the 28. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely the name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Brand inflation. Okay. So no other, no other exacto lenses you guys would highly recommend that I feed my gas with. Well, I mean, I don't know. Are you talking about the Topcon versions or the older? Uh, I think I know about the top one ones. I'm thinking more of the older because they're just so pretty, you know, the old exacto lenses. Yeah. So I like I like just playing with them as much as I like. I mean, the, I there's there's the 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 other Xenon lenses. Um, there's several other semi-auto aperture versions of the Xenon lenses um, that are. I mean, I think they're definitely worth checking out. I mean, honestly, they all render about the same, which is really mushy <laughs> if yeah. you're close to wide open but they're they're incredibly well made i mean there's i've got a couple of the older auto semi-auto zenons that are like that heavy nickel chrome stuff yeah, yeah and they are just i mean they're unbelievably well made um i mean almost just completely over the top uh so i mean those are interesting but i they're honestly i've shot them and then I've shot that one that we have the same serial number lens on, right? And they, yeah. they don't really render any differently. Matter of fact, I like the older one better. So mm -hmm. I like the preset one better. But the, the newer one won't hit the mirror, right? It's um, see, that's why I would like to go rummage in my bin for a minute because I, it won't hit the mirror, but I think that it won't mount correctly on the camera because of the auto arm. And I'm not... 100% sure on that theory unless I try it, but... Um, Are they not in the same place, the shutter for the Topcon and the Exacta? 
Wait, no, the camp. No, they are they are not in the same place. Yeah, they're not in the same place. Yeah, so the the shutter button on the Exactus is on the other side, and the auto. Yeah. Right, and and the little auto switch that that's how you would trigger the shutter. So as I recall, I'm trying to think back to when I had it on the camera. Um, it it doesn't you know it doesn't work the way it would on an exacta body so it's a little it's a little weird oh that's lame because there's one version of the xenon that i want to try because it just it, it you know there's one that has like a clear window on yeah the that's scale. that's the one i have hold on right, a and second. Th- i'm gonna go find it okay because because yeah i'll wait i'll wait till it gets back because this lens has like a really cool design feature that i just find really nifty oh he's back yeah. yeah, so this is not the clear window version, but it's very similar. Um, it's got uh, it's got like a little a little cutout. I mean, it's actually pretty similar to the Topcon lens. It's got a little cutout area for um, to show you the distance scale, and then it's got another right. for the aperture, and then it's got on the with the left side of the lens, it's got the little auto arm, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna try to mount this on my. And does it Art. does it change color? Like when you change the aperture, is this the one where you get the little red? The oh, red thing? that's that's the uh, depth of field scale. Yeah, moves, yeah, yeah. It, the depth of field scale moves in on the sides. Yes, I really yeah. like that. Yeah, it's um, really it's a cool design. Uh, so I'm gonna try to fire this thing. No, it it's this is not hitting the mirror. Oh, so, nice. even at infinity. Um, that was close up. Hold on, let me try it again. Because yeah, it'll only be at infinity where there's an issue. Oh yeah, it just hit the mirror. Ah, damn it! So right. it does, it does hit the mirror. Um, and let's see, all the other. I mean, it mounts okay, but yeah, it definitely. Well, it mounted okay, and now it won't mount because the mirror is locked up. So, go figure. So now I have to reset the mirror. Um, so yeah, that that uh, does not fire correctly. Got to put it on a legit exact body, apparently. Oh, that's what this whole project is trying to avoid. Just put it on a Minolta. Hmm. <laughs> that's I put these. I don't even. I don't even use. I put these things on my Minoltas, and they work fine. Then <laughs> I would have to get a Minolta. Yeah, that's okay. No, I refuse. Okay, cool. So, um, well, if if anyone, any of our listeners or any of you guys think of any sweet exacto lenses, uh, let me know because they're super cool. And I, I, you know, I can't I can't say that the RE Super is the best SLR focusing experience, but it's just better than an exacto. So, uh, you need a you need the eighty five millimeter Tessar. Ooh, Renee Tessar. Ooh, that sounds fun. That does sound fun. Yeah, it looks like you know how the you know how the Biotar that uh, the seventy five or whatever. Oh, you know yeah, how yeah. it's you know how it's got the the skinnier barrel and then the fatter mm-hmm. head on it. It's the same sort of design. Oh, it's the one that looks like a baby version of the Biotar. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yes. Yes. What, what you have F-stop? that right. What f stop is that? Two point eight. That's, that's that's a bit fast, isn't it, for a Tessar? No, think about it. it's like an eighty-five millimeter. That's 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 very fast for a Tessar, surely. No, it's a two point eight. Like you know, lots of Tessars are two eights. Yeah, but they're smaller focal lengths. 
So you no, it, it's the it's the same as the, if it was on a Rolleiflex or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So on no, the three, they're they three point fives, aren't they, on the Rollies? Uh, yeah, but there. there's a I have the two point eight Tessar on my Rolleiflex A model. Okay. So no, it's it's a thing. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. Okay. Um, it, you just don't see them very often, but it's it's a it's a cool lens. It's um, they tend to have real stiff focus because they use like machine oil in them or something. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's pretty it's a neat lens. It's it handle it handles nicely. That's for sure. Another another um, I don't think it's entirely compatible. It certainly is with the, with adapters. But you've also got the uh, Mamiya Prismat MP lenses. Um, and I, which I've got one of those lenses and never tried the camera um, but they that particular camera used a uh, modified exact amount as well and and, it, and I've got just I think I've, I have this camera uh, this lens just for the sake of owning it um, and I think the <laughs> one reason why I, I've, I've kept it is because I remember being in a discussion in probably in in a forum uh, somewhere and uh, somebody posted uh, somebody said something about different 50 millimeter um canon lenses and uh and then somebody somebody said that they only ever made them in x x x and x and um and i was thinking all oh, right okay so i decided to post my picture of my canon om that's what it's called a canon om 50 millimeter f 1.9 uh just just to prove somebody wrong um, and i think i think i'll keep that, that that camera just just so i might be able to do that again one day <laughs> oh yeah i forgot you had that like super rare random om lens yeah and it, it even gives swirly bokeh as well so um a canon that gives swirl uh, so I, I need to use that again as, as well really don't i yeah you, so you, many you, lenses need to be tried again that i've got only the, person, the, the only person i know who has that lens yeah that's probably another All reason right. why i keep it <laughs> All right, um, so that's exact to talk uh, over. Um, now, in our uh, sort of self-isolation phase, I've been sort of messing around with uh, trying to adapt some other random lenses, and I finally managed to get my hands on the optical block of a Helios 33, uh, which is a cinema lens from a Soviet camera called, I think, the Kinor, like a Soviet movie camera. Um, this thing is tiny, and I got one for about 40 pounds. Uh, new old stock as well, so it's in super nice condition. Um, yeah, and so I went, I went, uh, paid a visit to our, my friends over at Little Garden, um, or the, the one employee who is still manning, manning the uh, retail front of the shop. And she helped me put together a little build to adapt it to Sony, uh, which involved a little bit of blue tack. Um, and, and, uh, an M42 helicoid. So that's cool because this lens, I, I don't know if you guys have seen one or tried one or used one, but I've been after one of these for ages. I've, I've seen um, it in pictures and it, it looks quite similar to a, to a black, uh, LTM 39 Jupiter eight, doesn't it? But I've never actually seen one in the flesh. It's about, uh, one fifth of the size of a jupiter 8 ltm yeah it's tiny 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 because made for it was made for um i think super 16 format yeah so the 
the the lens with the optical block is basically just you know the glass plus an aperture control and it um it covers it almost covers full frame so up close it covers with a little bit of vignetting and then you get a tiny bit of black corners uh when you're at infinity but really not that bad for a lens of this size uh 35 millimeter f2 to actually more or less cover a full frame and it'll cover APS-C a hundred percent no problem is super super sweet so i think this is one of those maybe hidden little sleepers you can find them on ebay that uh sort of mounted into industar bodies or converted to m39 or ltm Mm. but those will cost you a lot more than just the optical block it's really not that difficult to uh to adapt a 28 millimeter like screw thread on the back so you just need a 28 to m42 ring and you're you're good to go so i'm super chuffed that this build has actually worked out you know, as, as far as as far as Helios lenses go, everyone knows the Helios forty four and all the random ones. But uh, I, I don't know how many I don't know how many um, cinema lenses they they made in uh, in the old Soviet Union. But this oh, is definitely the, one of them. I think there's an absolute shed load of them. It's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a whole different world again of mm. uh, a variety. Yeah, it's not C mount though. It, it's it's not a C mount lens. It's it's definitely a larger sort of rear than that. And then the flange distances pretty similar to ltm i would say um it's not exactly the same but it's relatively close in terms of like the helicoid size you have to use so it gives a nice swirly bokeh it's softish wide open but fairly fairly crisp in the center and then once you stop it down a stop or two it becomes really crisp um but it's got it's got like some of the craziest flare that i've seen in in a lens that more or less covers um full frame so i'm gonna have a lot of fun with this one because you know cheap and cheerful cheap and cheerful build very cool and i just i just paused because there's a um a big uh bug on my microphone like i, I look down and there's this big bug staring at me Ooh, what kind it's of bug? This, uh it's this time of year they all kind of start to wake up i'm not sure what it's like a it's like a beetle type of thing and this time of year they they're like, hey, what's going on? And they're like all over the place. Um, I, what is that? I'm not sure the name of this thing. I'm trying to get a good picture of it because it probably uh, the, yeah. Uh, mac- macro shooting. It's 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 really funny. Uh, but yeah, it's this time of year, like right when it it gets like uh, starts to get you know springtime. Of course, there's like snow on the ground, but whatever. So I'm trying. Yeah, to- it's snowing in Chicago right now, isn't it? One uh, of my yeah. friends out there. Yeah, it it was it was snowing last night. All right, I gotta go relocate this bug to a plant. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this hippie. <laughs> okay, all good. Ah, uh, you've earned bug your free. good karma. Yeah. I always go put them in the. Uh, front room with all the plants are you are you are you one of these like no kill guys oh yeah totally that's absolute unless it's people <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm a, I'm a totally no 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 kill the bugs no kill the spiders oh man well yeah. yep you've got your you got your good karma for the day okay. <laughs> did you get a good shot of it I did, yeah. It, it's it's pretty funny. This might be my new like profile, classic lenses podcast profile thing, because it's a a microphone with a bug on it. 
I'm just looking at the pictures. Oh, I made fry bread last night. So I have pictures of my fry bread too. What the hell is fry bread? Um, it's basically you take about a pound of Crisco and you make some dough and you fry it. Hey, what Crisco? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, what, what's that? Crisco? Yeah. Guess what a Crisco is? It's shortened. like shortening. Oh, short, shortening. Yeah. Well, I know what shortening is. Yeah, it's shortening. Crisco. So you take a pound of shortening and you deep fried bread. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So th- that's just what you're frying the bread in is, yeah. is Crisco. Okay. Right. Yeah. I thought, yeah. So you make, I thought there was something called Crisco that you 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 made and uh, into dough or something like that. No, I didn't make my own Crisco. <laughs> right. uh, okay. I just I just made bread fried in Crisco. Okay. Uh, so you're just sitting there. I, I had a mental image of you sitting there just like eating a pound of butter. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that, actually. That's pretty much what you're doing when you eat fry bread. You're eating because you put butter in the bread and then you deep fry it. Does and it taste like butter? Uh, no, it just tastes like grease. Oh, that's not as exciting because I'm. Uh, I made a really stupid decision because my girlfriend and I went out to um, get a vegetarian meal a little while back, and then we decided that we would go vegetarian for this whole week. And so you had me excited there for a moment with like vegetarian butter. Vegetarian butter doesn't exist. No. I don't think so. Okay. Um, anyway, moving on. Oh, they totally exist. Like plant butter, right? What's that? I can't believe it's not butter stuff. Isn't that plant butter? How do they, how do they milk the plants in the first place? They, they squeeze, they squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bit like almond milk now, isn't it? And all... Oh yeah, yeah. That's, I saw that video how they make yeah, almond milk. That was, with that the was, little, was, yeah. 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 Just like that. They put them on the little almond teats and then they... <laughs> The little, the little milk sucker things. Those plant udders. Plant udders, exactly. There you go. <laughs> All right, but move, moving on, moving swiftly on. Um, and a lot, the last thing I'm going to attempt um, is the, the old guy who I bought the Topcon RE Super off of, uh, he told me in passing that he uses his Lights Elmar 9cm F4 LTM lens. Uh, on his Hasselblad. And so I was like, oh, it covers they cover six by six. And he was like, yeah, yeah, quite easily. Because the the black version that I have, the I think all of them, right? All of the old ones, the optical block just screws off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the uh today when I was at home doing nothing, I took that optical block off and I was just kind of like holding it up to the window. And it does look like it will cover or very close to cover a six by six negative. Um, so I decided, well, I, I texted, uh, Lil Garden and I told him, Hey, um, can you help me put together a Pentax six, seven build for this lens? <laughs> uh, so I'm going to be heading over there with a couple of random bits and pieces to try to, uh, essentially adapt this Leica lens and a couple of others to, uh, Pentax six, seven and see how that turns out. That is very cool. I have no doubt that it, it should cover just fine. I mean, I think it will from my um, my my test where I just projected my window onto a box of surgical masks. Yeah, uh, the the image circle in focus looked more than large enough to cover a medium format negative. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. So that's super cool because I, then then all I need is helicoid and a Pentax six seven um, conversion ring, which they have in stock, and then I can I can use them. I, I have no idea what that's going to look like. 
like shooting a 35 millimeter vintage 35 millimeter lens on a Pentax 67 whether that's going to look good or it's going to look like crap <laughs> it's it's going to look as good as you make it really isn't it because it, it the, the assumption's going to be the fur, the further right from the center uh, the funkier it's going to get <laughs> and it's just going to matter it's just going to be about the, the what you're actually taking i mean actually that that reminds me and i've shared i've shared these these pictures with you um uh, the other day i was taking a, a photograph of some lens caps and and which that sounds really exciting i know um, <laughs> and uh, and there were close-ups to some degree of uh, of a load of lens caps that i've i've made and more about those later and uh, one shot was taken um i was struggling to get exactly the right focal length uh for this particular shot the way that I was shooting it and so on it was it was an unusual circumstances and it just so happened that the the lens that did the job best in terms of focal length was the 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 cole's eye 75 mil biotar and i'm thinking well that is not really the obvious kind of shot to do a, a relatively close product shot uh, because it's well known for its uh uh, interesting out of focus areas and and when you're trying to get a, a product shot that's not really what you're interested in and uh, but but the thing is that the, the first shot that i i took uh, was with a different camera uh, because i had a um, an 18 to 55 i think the original um, dx lens for nikon and i put it onto my d500 and thought well this will do the job it doesn't matter it's just a product shot and it'll be fine and uh, so i took the shot and it was relatively close therefore it was almost in the macro territory and even though I'd, i shot it at like about i think f10 f11 something like that um what was in focus was was, was fine but the out of focus area um simply because of the, the shallow depth of the field was it was shocking in my opinion it was it was it was distorted it, it, it was bordering on swirly it was it just wasn't good for what i was trying to, to to achieve now if i was trying to achieve a different kind of shot and i wanted something funky going on then it, it would have been absolutely fine but when i um i thought to myself well i need to find something else i can use and I, so i thought well i'll just try this uh 75 mil biotar and i stopped it down to i think f12 f11 some some that that kind of area took the shot and it did a straight shot and it did exactly what i wanted it to do um everything that was in focus that i wanted to be in focus and what where the focus was starting to fall away it just did it in a very natural smooth way and and you you look at the two shots and i'll say to us and i ask people so which shot was taken with the biotar and everybody would would point at the uh the shot that was taken with the nikon is it, it was odd but the the point point i'm making there again is just like you know whether that elmar is going to perform on uh on a on a larger format camera like like a hasselblad is it's it's simply going to be down to what it is that you're taking so if you're going to be doing some kind of portrait work or something where you want something pretty good in the center and then uh interesting things going on in the outer focus areas then i would imagine it'll be very very good yeah so you've you've tried your aero ektar on your hasselblad right uh no uh there's and there's reasons for that and that's because the uh the Hasselblad uses it it doesn't have a focal plane shutter. Uh 
Oh, right, so, right, right. I mean, there, there are ways of doing it, and you can you can put the thing into a bulb mode, and then you're going to use low ISO film and so on. There are some Hasselblads out there, um, and M from Emulsif has got one of those that, that's, uh, that has a focal plane shutter on it as well. Um, they're a little bit temperamental, but if if the if you've got a good one, then yeah, that's a that's a great way to actually use uh, that lens without that camera. Well, I, I'm wondering if the uh, conventional wisdom that you have mentioned before, Simon, applies here, where when you're using a lens designed for a smaller format or a larger format, that it's actually going to perform better because it's resolving uh, more than the format needs. Yeah, that's. I mean, that is that is the conventional wisdom. I, I think, and we've talked about this before, and there's there are views that that's right to some degree, and in some degrees, it, it's absolutely not. Um, <laughs> So it's 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 hard to say. I mean, I mean, in the case of the Aerovector, it's a really old design, um, and I suppose it was also designed for its for a very specific use, which is not the way that people actually use it today. So when I've, I would say that the, the wide open sharpness on an Aerovector is nothing special by any standards, uh, but whether or not you know a, a smaller format lens works better when it's expanded onto a larger format. Oof. It, it's going to be whatever's going on in the it, how it how it deals with the outer areas is going to be is going to be the biggest differentiator. But yeah, it would make sense that the centre of the image might be particularly good. Um, but again, that's going to be dependent upon on the lens in general. I would have thought. Cool. So I, we will find out soon. I mean, I, I don't know of many other um, one thirty five format lenses where you could. I mean, the 135 lights Elmar will also work, but I can't think of that many others that would um, be easy to do this kind of adaptation on because there's not many where you can just unscrew the optical block with the aperture mm. attached. But okay. again, that's going to be down to the optical formulation, isn't it? I mean, for, yeah. I, I mean, just because a, a lens has a longer focal length, I don't don't know if that immediately necessarily equates that it's going to have a larger image circle. Uh, it was, Right. You know, there, there, there must have been reasons why uh, lights made that design and effectively used more glass than they needed to and then a larger image circle. And it could have been it just it might have been easier to make it that way for some reason. Um, and, yeah, because it's. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, and those, those rules might not apply with the 135. It'd just be something peculiar to that particular focal length. I really don't know. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's they did it with the with the early '90s Sumercon as well. Because I've seen people just take the optical block off and stick it on a helicoid. Um, Johnny, do you know why they did that? Why they designed it that way? Uh, the 90 millimeter. <clears throat> I think, I think so. the, the 90, 135, and also the 90 Sumercon, where you can basically just all the optics are in the front. Because I mean, the yeah. 90 f4 is a you can just rip it off. Like you can just yeah. unscrew it. It's so you can put them on a Visaflex to do uh, you know, uh... close up stuff. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, that, that larger image circle you only get when you take it off um, as well because the right. tube the tube that the focusing uh, assembly is built into, it effectively shrinks the image circle as well because the light is kind of passing through that tunnel. Yeah. The other thing that's going on there is I'm, I'm making the assumption that these lenses aren't actually telephoto lenses as well because, I mean, that that's just something... Uh, I'm not a true expert on this by any stretch of imagination, but the when people talk about lenses that are longer than normal or longer than standard lenses, 
85 millimeter and upwards um, people start talking immediately about telephotos short telephotos medium telephotos and so on mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily uh, the case because um telephoto is not is, isn't specifically talking about the focal length of a lens it's it's the actual right. design of a lens and yeah. some lenses which are longer focal lengths and i'm pretty sure in the by the sounds of it these these lenses we talk about these elmars and uh, and and such are not telephoto lenses i'm guessing no wait what but hold on so so a, te a telephoto lens is where the length of the lens is shorter than the focal length right yeah so the the lights nine centimeter f4 elmar is definitely i think it's shorter it's really small um it's but narrow it, but it's quite long it's not that long it's not that the the black one that i have is it it's not that long at all and but all the optics are contained in the front so i, yeah. I don't i, I yeah. don't know what that means for it's it's because it's a it's a it's a it's a tessar Right. And so the the lens that I mentioned earlier for Exacta, the eighty five millimeter two eight, it's the same exact. It's just it's a Tessar stuck on a long tube. Mm -hmm. That's how that's how they that's how they all are. Yeah, right. There's no there's no glass towards the back. It's all you know the one cell, and then you put a tube behind it to get the right focal length. And that's right, and that's right. largely the same principle with large format lenses. I mean, there aren't many telephoto large format lenses most of them are, are conventional or normal in in design right. and i mean and you and you hear about such things as teletessars which mm -hmm. is obviously a telephoto tessar so I, th I think i mean you can't tell this with elmar because they don't use i don't can you get a tele elmar i don't know if they actually use that that phrase or not uh they do actually ah uh, hold on T yes there's definitely a tele elmar right well, uh, 135 right Okay, well, in that case, that's sort of lending a bit of weight to what I'm saying there, then. That these are not telephoto designs. They are not, no. Yeah. And it could be just that in itself, you end up as a, as a byproduct with a, with a larger image circle. Maybe. I don't know. Right, because they're just tweaking the Tessar so that it, the focus distance changes, right? And yeah. therefore corresponds with like whatever focal length they are calling it. I mean, we will be getting Jason Lane back on, who can put us straight on this. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, we need to schedule that pretty soon, really. Okay, so last question on this. Johnny, Are there? Um, is there a 50 that works on the Visoflex? Uh, I seem to recall that there is. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there is. I don't know okay. which. I can't, I can't tell you which one, but I know there is, yeah. Okay, because yeah, I'm, I'm now I'm just wondering whether or not there are any wider angle lenses that would work on a Pentax 6.7 this way, although I doubt that there are any where the image circle will be large enough, eh? Uh, I, well, I think the problem is going to be the register distance. You can you can do it with a, something like, a tel, like the Elmar because the lens physically is a certain distance away from the film plane, right? Right, But yeah. anything wide angle is going to be, it's going to sit too close. Yeah. So it's, you know what I mean? You're not going to get, you, you're going to get, you're going to get super macro only. Mm -hmm. So, but you can get away with it on the tele lenses because the, you, I would think that you could do the same thing with the, there's a 135 LMR that's the same basic design that I think you could do the same thing with that one. Yeah, that definitely works. That someone has yeah. confirmed that to me. 
Yeah, but wider than that, you're going to run into optics that aren't positioned correctly, right? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I will. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what this looks like because this is, you know, a way to keep busy in these times. So I will. I will yeah. report back once I have that build complete, uh, and I'll post some pictures because I'm sure this lens head will look really stupid on a Pentax six seven. <laughs> <laughs> what was a good reason to do it? <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. So that's what I've been up to uh, in this period of not being up to anything. Johnny, what about you? Um, I've not been up to anything either. It's been a very, as you can imagine, chaotic week. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so how's things over in Central Camera then? Is it is it is it still open? No, we're uh, very very much closed. Yes, and and I, I take it that's that's sort of pretty much open ended now, is it? That's you'll open when you open again, hopefully. Um, in theory, till. Uh, April 7th. So, but I guess we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. 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 There's, there's, <laughs> there aren't any silver linings there, are there really? Um, yeah. It's a total silver lining. I don't have to go to work and get f- deadly illness. To me, it's, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> that's, that's 100% silver lining to me. So, <laughs> Yeah, it was like being a sitting duck there before they closed um, because, the, you know, what are you going to do? People come in off the street. You have no idea if they have any regard for whether or not they think, the you know, this is a big deal or not. And, you know, they're going to they're gonna handle all the cameras and put them up to their face and then hand them back. And, I mean, and hand you money and hand you their grubby freaking credit card that they probably had up their butt. I mean, you, you don't, I mean, I, you don't, I f- hate people. You don't know what they're doing. You don't know. You don't know if they're clean. You don't know. You don't know any of that stuff. So yes, I'm so glad we're shut down because people are f- idiots. And I mean, I, I've got 20 something. I don't care. I'll just get the virus. I don't care that I'll have immunity. I had, I had 20 something say that shit. assuming that the government is going to shut down everything by the end of the week, which is exactly what happened. So I'm really glad I didn't go to work to avoid the idiots. Yeah. It's, it's, it's got to be difficult in a retail environment, as you say. It's, Um, it's it's just, you're, I, I wish that I had been, that I had lived during like a war and could have just got killed in a war. Cause this is like the lamest, stupidest way to die is to get something like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, it's to just go to work and get sick and die is stupid. So people should just stay the hell home. And if they won't, then bring out the national guard and shut everything down and keep their asses at home. So yes, I am totally fine with the fact that everything is closed. <laughs> Well, this 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 might be a good point to talk about um, something we were we were chatting earlier about, and what happens to us photographers in yeah. the current circumstances from a from a photographic point of view, and what we can mm-hmm. can't should and shouldn't do, and 
I'm, I'm quite interested in hearing your take on this, Johnny, although I've I got a sneaky feeling well, I might know what it is. Um, no, but, but here's the thing. It's not like you can't do anything right now, right? I mean, you can, you know, you can even still go outdoors. It's not like you cannot leave the house at all. It's like interacting and stuff, right? So, you know, people are still doing things like that. So it's not like you can't, you know, take photos and you can't, shoot things a little closer to home. I mean, that's all totally acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've always had the opinion that if you can't find anything interesting to do photographically in your own backyard, then you're just, you're not thinking hard enough or something. You know what I mean? Cause there's always, there's always stuff to shoot. I mean, there's always, there are always things to do. Um, it's just, you know, you got you to gotta look. That's all. Yeah. And, and I think during this period, you know, I, I feel like I've been shooting people wearing masks for months now. Um, and here, I was out the other day and there were, uh, in one area called the West Kowloon Cultural District, there were dozens of people with film cameras out there shooting. Um, and I've gotten messages from people on Instagram talking about different projects that they are doing during this time because some countries are on total lockdown some places have you know don't leave your house orders yeah here in hong kong we started to kind of relax at the beginning of march but now the the uh, measures are being you know locked down again um because of imported cases from abroad and you know i think whether you choose to it's a really interesting time to document you know whether you're just taking photos around the house and you'll, you'll look back and remember this time of isolation as just right a a transformative moment that you're, you're you'll be glad that you've documented or um, if you're able to go outside and whether it's shooting empty streets or you know photos of people wearing masks as long as you're not an idiot about it like you know don't go licking the people who you photograph um, then yeah this the same the same rules would apply for doing photography as they would like visiting your grandparents right yeah right. exactly be prudent. Think about others. Don't be an idiot. Wash but your see, hands you, like crazy. But that's a problem, Perry. Is you come from a culture that is a bit more collective in its thinking. I think I don't think there. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say, right? No, not at all. Okay, but that's the problem with places like here, where people are all just idiots. I mean, nobody gives a second thought to anything other than what the hell they want to do. So it it's harder. When you can't, when it's harder when, I think it's harder when there's, than when people by and large are not giving as much thought to being safe, right? So, so I, I think that's why the, the lockdown orders are probably a little bit different in different places, but it's, I don't know, it's really difficult here. I mean, I think, I, I wish everybody brought that level of, uh, collective thinking to it perry because what you just said totally makes sense i mean to behave like you're going to go visit your grandparents or but i but th- there's a huge number of people who think this is just a com- still think this is all complete bs yeah. and all it's doing is hurting the economy i mean that's a huge opinion here still right? i think you know there's definitely a big cultural <laughs> element of it but i think the other thing too which is probably bigger is that places like hong kong and taiwan um we got decimated by SARS and uh, places like South Korea, they got hit really hard by MERS um, quite recently. 
And so a lot of the kind of anxiety around these diseases, like we've seen what it can do. So I think, you know, the, the sort of collective mentality is one thing, but I do think a lot of people are doing smart things to protect themselves in a kind of individualistic way as well. It's just like we remember 2003 and it was horrible and this is yeah. way, way, way worse. And so the fact that like everyone is wearing masks, everyone is keeping their distance, everyone is like practicing good hygiene and just, you know, it's as much it's as much to protect yourself and your family, et cetera, uh, as it is, you know, a, a collective effort. But but I think you're definitely right. You know, the, the rugged individualism of the West is not something that is um, as prevalent uh, in Asia as well. I think yeah. it's that thing about freedom as well. Um, and that's probably where the UK and uh, the US are quite quite similar in that attitude that you know, free, freedom has been a big part of uh, our way of life and our history. And I think when freedoms are curtailed or threatened to be curtailed, um, it's, a, it's a really big deal. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, that's certainly the case here in the UK where there's a, feels like a, a slow ramping up of uh, what people can and can't do, possibly out of fear that we can't, immediately go straight to some of the measures perhaps like the you know, there's always this talk about Italy and about the, the lockdown in Italy and and people are saying well we're two weeks behind Italy and, and, and things like this and yeah there were, there were lots of differences between many countries that you can't take things literally to say well this is how many instances we've had in a certain period of time so therefore we've we're at this point on the curve because it just doesn't work that way um, but you just get the feeling that imp imposing some kind of semi-martial law in, in in many of the Western democracies would just be. I, I, I just I find it very very difficult to even imagine it ever happening, and I think that's probably mm -hmm. why uh, some governments are being reluctant to go to that. But perhaps they're taking people in that direction so that if they do do it, then there's more chance of it being complied with. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, you know, places like Hong Kong and Taiwan, I think they also really value um, their freedom because we're always, you know, on the back door of, of the Chinese government breathing down our necks. Um, but at the same time, especially in Taiwan, I think you, you see a really big collective effort to, to kind of recognize that there's sacrifices that need to be made uh, by everyone to kind of you know, deal with this. But at yeah. the same time, here, here in Hong Kong, we, we have our fair share of idiots too. You know, we had an influx of people coming into the airport um, and 36 of them who were, who were supposed to be under home quarantine uh, broke their quarantine and now the cops are after them. So <laughs> it's not like, you know, idiocy and that kind of individualistic, whether it's selfishness or a desire for your own freedom. There's plenty of that here too, and and honestly, there's a lot of concern that we're going to have a giant outbreak um, as a result of like this sort of second wave resurgence. So I it, back when this all started, I had no problem going out doing street photography and photographing people with masks on and stuff. But even now, I'm I'm getting more and more reticent to go close to people because it's like I don't know where you've been. Yeah. Well, when you talk about going close, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to see how this compares uh, with with the states and Hong Kong. But it's recommended that we don't go within two meters of somebody when we're out 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 and about or whatever. Um, I mean, do do you have any figures you're, you're told to stay away from a, a person? 
No, no, no. I, I think I think that's a general global guideline, and it's just sensible practice anyway. Yeah. Um, but but here, the way that South Korea, Taiwan, and Hong Kong have been doing it is basically every they're like testing like crazy, and everyone who gets the virus, um, they get quarantined, and then they trace like every single person that you've been in contact with, uh, and then they contact those people and test them and kind of get them to self isolate as well. So it's 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 trying to keep track of not only every case, yeah. but like everyone they've contacted. And so that way, everyone else, we don't have to like, we don't have these sort of really stringent concepts, like stay two feet away or blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what they're not doing here because it's already too far out of hand. So, right. Yeah. 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 So the, the, the opportunity to do that has long been lost in the U.S. and the U.K., which is why it's going to end up like Italy. So, yeah. Yeah, and that makes it all the more difficult to go out and do photography because, you know, a place like Singapore, obviously they have a pretty draconian government. Um, but the stuff that they're doing, is it Singapore or is it South Korea? But basically, they're like able to tell you via your phone when you're in the vicinity of someone who's tested positive. Oh my so you, god. So you can that's, get the hell away. That's crazy. Yeah. So there's that. And then and then everyone sort of self-enforces social dis- distancing because we're all terrified of getting this thing. Yeah. But as, as you say, the the uh, yeah, so really there's there's a couple of things. The the part of the advice is over here is do don't do anything that don't go out unnecessarily. And but you mm-hmm. can go out for exercise. And yeah. a lot of people will do photography as exercise. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the only reason why some people even go out the house anyway is to is to take take photographs. And and, and this is this is where I I sort of I think myself yeah there are opportunities out there at this moment which are extraordinary and would be worth documenting. And I mean, I saw something, I, I was in the car and uh, locally in, in Stoke-on-Trent, we have a delicacy called oat, oat cakes. Um, they were like pancakes, but they made from oatmeal. And uh, I went past one of the uh, the oat cake shops uh, that they have around here. And because, well, actually, no, take, takeaways are still allowed. They closed down restaurants, but no oat cake shop or very few oat cake shops could be ever classed as a restaurant. Um, but they were they were handing oat cakes out through a through a slat, uh, through like a ventilation window, and people are queuing Whoa. queuing up and just passing it through. And I was looking at, it, I was thinking, that's extraordinary. That uh-huh. yeah, this has never possibly never been seen before, except perhaps if the owners just lost the front door key, <laughs> and. Uh, and I'm thinking, yeah, there are going to be so many opportunities out there for extraordinary scenes like that to be to be photographed. Yet, um, on the you know, personally for me, I think to myself, well, is this is this an effect? Is this essential for me to go out and take these photographs? And I honestly, say, well, the answer is no. Um, and that in itself, therefore, makes it very difficult for me to justify going out and actually taking photographs at the moment. I, I see what you mean. I mean, there's been a lot of really powerful imagery. Um, coming out of people's daily lives. I mean, I, I saw pictures um, of empty streets in Chicago uh, just today or, or a photo out of the UK of some, there was a kid like playing tic-tac-toe with his grand grandpa through the door. So they were doing it on the window. So the kid was on one side of the door and the grandpa yeah. was on the other side of the door. Huh. Um, and, and I think photographically for, for me, I mean, I've kind of been in this mode since the protests started 
Um, but there's a there's a there's a line between sort of uh, photography or even street photography and then documentary photography, right? Where at a time like this, the I don't know about the importance, um, but there is part of me that thinks, you know, th- there is a tr- genuine importance um, to do documentary photography at this time, not necessarily to publish in newspapers and stuff. Obviously, the photojournalists are doing great work, but for yourself, right? Um, a- as a photographer, when there is such upheaval and change, the process of documenting it can be both like therapeutic, but also incredibly, incredibly unique. You know, I, I mean, I just remember when all the protests were going on in Hong Kong, people like Mike Novak were saying to me, yeah, stay safe, but I'm also kind of jealous of you to have this opportunity to, you know, yeah. photograph um, earth changing moments. And this is far larger than the protests in Hong Kong, you know? So I, I certainly th- spent a lot of time thinking about how and what can be documented at this time. So that when you look back on these photos, you'll be like, oh, man, uh, I, I'm glad I made those photographs to document what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's what's making this harder for me? I'm staring across uh, at a camera that's been loaned to me by a chap called Gilbert Townsend. And it's a Contax G2 and it's got a 35 millimeter planar on it. <laughs> 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 and I'm staring at it, I'm thinking, that's exactly the camera to be walking around with at the moment, if, if I was to walk around, which I'm not sure if I should or shouldn't do. So, uh, oh, temptation. Or is it a good thing? Who knows? It's a, it's a moral dilemma that we've uh, many of us are facing at the moment. I mean, uh, another another issue out there as well is just, you know, what's actually happening. Um, well, it's pretty obvious what's happening with the economy in general, but it's also about what, what's, what's happening mm-hmm. to... Um, businesses in, the, in yeah. the photographic world. Let's just keep it keep it with the the, the photography side of things, and you know, it, it's you know, photographic businesses have have been on the edge and going over the wrong side of the edge now for a good twenty years or so, and so there aren't that many. Um, you know, certainly on the bricks and mortar side of things, um, there aren't a huge amount of businesses actually left there, and you know. I mean, Johnny's uh, um, wants wants to wants to live and wants to stay healthy, and therefore, you know, he is, is his attitude is completely understandable to to what's going on there. But you know, there's only going to be so long. Um, businesses such as Central Camera are going to be able to um, hang out, well, hang out, or hold out uh, until it, it becomes no longer financially viable for them to pay their, their 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 fixed costs and things like that but, uh, and that's a that's an in, enormous worry mm-hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely yeah see i don't i don't i don't think it is because this is all easily fixed by governments just doing the right thing mm-hmm. which is which is exactly the problem here which is exactly the problem here. All you have to do, and other governments have done it, all you have to do is put everything on hold. I mean, it's it's doable. And people act like this is not doable. We're all just going to go. Trump said the same thing this morning. He's like, you can't do, the cure can't be worse than the, 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 than the, than the fix or whatever. You know what I mean? But it's, it, it's because people are more concerned about the money than they are about people. That's all it is, period. End of story. 
It's just, it's just money over people. And that's what's going on in this country. And it's what's going on. It seems like in the UK and until, until it gets bad enough, it, the problem is it will get so bad before people realize it has to just yep. be like martial law that it'll be too late. And that's why I don't care. I'm just staying home. <laughs> yeah. And, the, the, and yeah. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent, but something, I figure things are going to get so bad so quickly. It won't be as much of a concern. <laughs> Right, because so, there's a difference between you being screwed individually and everyone being screwed together. Exactly. Right, and, exactly. and that's the boat that we find ourselves in. I mean, like here in Hong Kong, the, the camera shops and the photos, uh, the film stores and stuff, they're, do, they're still really, really lively and still really active these days. It's the restaurants and the, the hospitality that are, um, that are really, really struggling and in terms of you know, their monthly costs, and a lot of them have shut down. And... Um, at the end of the day, like, again, we come back to that idea that, you know, in 2003 here, when we had SARS, we we made those mistakes. Like, we waited until it got so bad that everything shut down. And this time, you know, we had one case and freaked out. Um, and unfortunately, uh, it looks like other places around the world are just not heating the, well, are, are just starting to slowly heed the severity of it all. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I think it just needs to get it. It just needs to get really bad here before anything will happen, because that's that's the American way. Is people are just going to ignore it until it's so bad that it can't be ignored. You know, like every other, like every other problem that government could address that doesn't get addressed. So I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I think I think Central Camera will be fine because I know he's already asking his landlord for abatement. And the, you know, the, the city is already talking about, um, the, the city is already doing things for, uh, financing for small business owners. So it's, if it's wide enough and deep enough, the problems will get solved. That's, that's, you know what I mean? That's why the, almost the more it affects people, the better, because that's the only point at which things Mm -hmm. will, you know, government will step in. So, yeah. And and central camera survived. World War One, the Spanish flu, World War Two, right? Yeah, I mean the 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 landscape was much different then, though. Of course, I mean you had, mm-hmm. you know, there there's something like 200 independent camera stores left in the entire United States, um, where there were you know 10,000 wow. of them uh, back in the pre-digital era. So I mean it it's it's definitely it's definitely a bigger deal. Um, then, you know, those other eras of time, because the, you know, the business landscape is different for photography, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a non survivable event for small business because everybody's so many businesses are affected by it. Right. Mm -hmm. And if nobody's going to work and nobody is making money for the people who make money by people making money. Then everything falls apart, doesn't it? So you can't you can't have your entire population unemployed and facing homelessness and still have the people who make money make money. So that's a good thing. <laughs> so that's to me, that's how it gets solved <laughs> is is when the people who have the money start suffering enough by loss of business that they realize that they can't just literally let the entire thing fall apart. Yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, the you know, doc- documenting this time is is important because when the 
eventually comes time to ease our way out of it, you know, yeah. you're going to see the kind of societal change that probably larger societal changes than we saw like after 9-11. Totally, um, man. After, after the SARS outbreak uh, here. And the, but that, that process of coming out of it, at this point, you, you just don't want, you want as few people to die as possible. Right. During that period, like that, right. that I think should be everyone's priority, whether you're going out to shoot or whether you're in government, right? Yeah, exactly. So whatever, we'll see. But I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that you know, even if you're just taking photos of nothing going on, <laughs> right around your house and in your in your immediate vicinity, whatever, it's still a document of this time and place. I mm-hmm. think what you said, Perry, like if for you personally, is what how that's what it why it matters right Mm -hmm. so you know the photography that people do now will be a a a marker a marker for that right it'll be it'll be part of their experience personally of this era which is an unprecedented era which you know things will not be the same after this so whatever people do photographically is going to be a reflection of that even if it's not a picture of someone wearing a mask yeah Exactly. So, so yeah, that's that stuff's important. I mean, it really is. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, with uh, with the with the current backdrop backdrop, um, it's uh, we'll we'll head over to what I've been up to um, because I'm launching a new range of lens caps. All right. <laughs> in, in, ah. in this in this uh, in this in this climate. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've, we've we've touched upon the, these 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 lens caps I'll be making, and uh, and um, yeah, they've finally uh, a few of these more more of these have have gone live now, and uh, I've had exacta caps um, out for a while, but I've also made them for Pentacon Six Konica AR. Um, I've just finished um, designing and making one for uh, Roller QBM, which was an absolute git of a design to do um so uh um, so that's done and i've also just finished off um miranda uh not literally uh, (laughs) (laughs) um and uh i don't know i don't know how many people are going to want miranda lens caps but uh i just happened to have a miranda lens i was thinking well you know you can't you can't go out and buy yourself a miranda lens very lens cap very easily so uh so i did that and um I've also got uh, contacts uh, Kiev inner bayonet uh, lens caps. Basically, I've, I'm going around looking at lens caps which you can't get easily. Um, so you know you, you can get hold of Canon FDs and uh, um, Nikon caps and M42, M39s, LMs, and all that kind of stuff because they can be tuned out in the millions um, with in- injection molding. But people aren't going to go to the uh, lengths of um, tooling up equipment uh, to uh, to serve um, the capacity really that's that that's there for some of these smaller uh, minor caps. So uh, that's that's when I come in. Um, so I'm I'm making these uh, lower volume caps, and uh, so I think I've got 
Is that seven I've done? No, six. Six I've done so far, and I've I've plans for some more. And uh, so, if you're interested in those, um, they're on my eBay site, and uh, I've also got them up on my website as well. Which I haven't really done much with my website recently, uh, which is SimonForsterPhotographic.co.uk, and I've I've put them up there as 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 well. And there's some. Um, if you buy more than three, I think the deal's better on my website than it is on eBay. Um, if you're buying two, you're probably better on getting them on eBay. Or if you're buying one, it doesn't really matter either way. Um, so, uh, so that's my uh, completely shameless plug in a in an effort to actually earn some money. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's 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 the downside of being in in uh, a retail business, uh, whether that be a, a, a shop or a, an online business such as my own um, because we are generally more interested in, in keeping ourselves safe and uh, making sure we've got enough money for to pay the to pay the future bills so buying things like lens caps or new lenses and things like that that's it's for many people that's not going to be an easy purchase to make so uh, but you know if you've if you've got the the means and you still wish to take photographs then there's no reason for you to stop as long as you stick with those guidelines really yeah yeah and lens caps will prevent coronavirus from getting into your lens yeah. <laughs> yeah. very important so i was just talking myself into a state of depression there so thank you for that <laughs> so uh so yeah so that's my week um and um so let's uh let's do some emails because we haven't uh, done too many emails recently and we've got quite a few to go through so uh, let's go for it. Alright. Oh, let's see. Where do we start? We did the um, Canon FD, FD one, right? Mm -hmm. Should we start with David Ortega? Mm -hmm. uh, David Ortega wrote us on March 6th. Um, his subject is M39 to M42 Aperture Iris. He says, hi, guys. Just listen to the latest episode. I'm a new listener. I've been uh, taking lenses out of broken plastic AF point-and-shoots, uh, Mu, Canon, ML35, AF35, and was wondering if this would work as a good aperture or not, and then find a way to mount the lens to an M42 focus helicoid. I copied the link to the eBay item in question, iris diaphragm aperture with male, female, M42, M39, female thread ring activated. And then there's a link. Yeah. Uh, hope you got, hope to hear from you guys soon. P.S. I want to use them on my Zeiss Icon RF camera. So this way I could have an inexpensive way to expand my range of lenses for it. Okay. Um, I'm just opening this link to see what he's... Um. Oh. Okay. Yeah. These 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 things. Yeah. Yeah. I have I one know. of these. I have one of these things. Okay. So yeah, this is just an aperture that goes in between the. It's basically an. It's basically a short extension tube with an aperture in it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, I, I've used these. Have you guys? I, I no. haven't, but I, I, I have a sneaky feeling I know what you're going to tell us. But uh, I'm, yeah. I'm interested in hearing your, your experience. Uh, so it is, it depends. Um, because <laughs> the placement of the iris uh, is actually quite important uh, for a lens. 
Um, I assume by Zeiss Icon RF, by the way, he means that uh, the Zeiss Icon ZM. So he's going to be basically zone focusing these things. Here's the problem. Um, when you stick the iris behind the rear element, uh, on a lot of lenses, you're basically going to be shrinking the image circle substantially as a result. And so a lot of the lenses that I have had mounted onto my sort of external iris as this thing is, um, you, <laughs> you can see the aperture close down. And so rather than getting an extended depth of field, you just get more and more and more dark corners and vignetting, right? Some lenses don't do that. And it really depends on uh, the lens and also the kind of original placement of the iris within that lens. Because like the placement of the aperture is an inherent part of the like optomechanical design. So you can't just stick an aperture in the back. Sometimes it do- it works, you know, the same way that you might stick like like a heart-shaped you know, those heart-shaped things in front of a lens that you cut out of black paper to make heart-shaped bokeh? Yeah. Um, sometimes it works like that, and, and you're fine, but sometimes it does not. And, it, it yeah, the, the only way to find out is to try. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've said more than I was going to say that, but that, that's, uh, yeah. Uh, the it, it would make it, it would help if the thing was a little bit larger, I guess, but even so, even if it was the it, it was wide enough to... to let everything through it um, when the lens is wide open. Well, the lens is always wide open if it hasn't got an aperture. Um, but it's not covering the rear the rear elements. As you, as you say, the yeah, I'd say that that position is critical. Um, and uh, there's like nodal points and all all this kind of stuff that yep. uh, Jason Lane understands better than we do. Um, so no, it's not. A, it might work sometimes, but it's it's certainly not the uh, the, the the silver bullet for resolving this problem unfortunately wish it was but but no yeah and it will uh i i'm not sure if this is true but i think it will work better on actually i'm not gonna say i was gonna say i think it'll work better on longer lenses than shorter ones but i have no idea if that's true i think that no that can't be true um i think it just depends on the lens there are in and, and some older lenses, though some older lens designs, um, they actually have the, the the iris at the front of the lens. Mm-hmm. So, not entirely sure if that if that would actually be. It's not going to it's not going to solve the problem that uh, that is that is trying to resolve here. But uh, um, but that could also be a way of of dealing with it in a but in a different kind of way. I'm not sure what the effect would be on that. But but again, it depends because you know. Um, some sometimes you can put something entirely over the front of a lens and just kind of sh- change the shape of the bokeh, but yeah. sometimes like even a lens hood gives you black corners, right? Mm, yeah. So it it really depends on a lens by lens basis, I think. Yeah. Because it's all about the way that the light rays go out, right? And if the light rays are already starting to kind of spread out as they come out the back of the lens, then you're basically just cutting that off with this aperture. Yeah. All right. Um, next up, uh, hey, apropos, huh? Um, from uh, Ulf, um, and the subject is Telly Zenar. Um, and he says, Hi, any opinions on this lens? Pictures attached, and any suggestions on how it could be adapted? Googling for it, it seems to, to fit, oh, apparate and camera brow camera camera arete i and the like regards ulf i have no idea what he's talking about uh, i just googled it and it's actually a type of camera Is, ac- okay 
yeah, it's a. Uh, it, it it looks like a weird. It's a weird looking camera. It looks like a rangefinder. Uh, this is the. Wait, I think he's got the spelling wrong. The spelling is I'm right. Struggling with here. Yeah, I googled apparet and camera bow, and the camera is called the Accuret, and the company is Apparet und Camera Bau GmbH. The Accuret or Apparet? That's what I'm. Accuret. Yeah, Accuret. That's what I mean. He's. So the camera name is the A- is A K A R E T T E. Right, which is why I said he spelled it wrong. That's why I'm yeah yeah Accuret. Then the manufacturer. Right, it's a because it, Accuret is a thirty nine thread, but it doesn't fit. It's not LTM. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, so it it it's one of those things where it's not gonna. Yeah, it it won't it won't fit anything unless you have the right adapter for it. I'm just looking at the picture of the at the mount though. I'm I'm struggling to work out how that even attaches to a camera. I can't I can't right. see a, I can't see a bayonet. I can't see a thread. Uh huh. Yeah, that's a weird looking rear. Mm-hmm. Right, because so there's no <clears throat> thread. Yeah, but you'll see lenses. Um, lenses will turn up that have. Um, there'll be a you know an LTM version of that lens like i'm looking at a picture of one right now that's got a uh 45 millimeter zenar on it uh but they but unless you have the right adapter it's not going to go on to anything mm-hmm. so um uh-huh it does look like a uh the native mount is a bayonet of some sort and then there's a there's an accurate to l39 adapter right out there Oh, three is three printed. Right, so it's it's one of those odd mounts that there's not a lot of uh, adapter and so forth options for. Mm-hmm. They're out there. You can, I mean, you can find them, um, but you know they tend to be lenses that already exist in LTM anyway. Uh, so there's that too. Yeah, I've seen this lens before. I think Nigel Cliff had one of these once. Yeah. Time. Uh, but not not in this mount. Right, 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 right. Hmm, interesting one. So uh, yeah. yeah, that's our that's our our answer there. Uh, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, our answer is good luck. Okay, um, Morgan Route wrote us on March fourth. Subject: Fort Nugget. Um, Hey, Johnny and gang, greetings from Lexington, Kentucky. Huge fan of the Classic Lenses podcast, even though I don't do photography. I'm a cinematographer. I listen to the Classic Lenses podcast about helicoids and have an issue with a lens that I think you may be the perfect person to ask if I may. I primarily use uh, Micro Four Thirds mount cameras, GH5 and Blackmagic cinema cameras, 4K. I have mostly EF and M42 glass that I pair with a Metabones Ultra 0.71 speed booster, which works great for my EF lenses. Uh, I then use an M42 to EF on top of that to use my Takamar and Soviet lenses, which is also fantastic. However, I recently bought a silver Jupiter 9 85 millimeter F2 M39 mount. And for the life of me cannot find a simple M39 to EF adapter because I don't think it can be done. You are correct. The only why the only 
fix I've seen was a helicoid type of fix that use that the user said M39 cannot fit into EF because of the flange distance. And if you are able to adapt it, renders range and infinity and basically makes your lens only good for macro. Long-winded, I know, but is this true? Should I avoid M39 and stick to M42 with my setup? Thank you very much for your time, Morgan Rout. So, yeah. M uh, LTM lenses are not going to work on EF. No. Period. Because so. the flange distance. Yeah. Right. But just although you know, yeah, sorry. Well, I mean, this is the the moment where we have to clarify the stupid nomenclature, right? Because M thirty nine and L thirty nine and LTM are not the same, right? Um, and there are M thirty nine SLR lenses that can right. be adapted to SLR right. other SLRs, but yeah. not M thirty nine L thirty nine LTM rangefinder lenses because the flange distance is too short. Yeah. So the right. other Jupiter nine will work if you find an M forty two one. Yep. Which is um, fine. Oh, yeah, oh, that oh, would work, but not. There may well be a thirty nine thread mm-hmm. that will work on it as well. Yep. Yeah. Which is the yeah, thing just th- been alluding to. Right. So the thirty the M thirty nine with an SLR register distance will work with a thirty nine to forty two ring on it. It'll work just fine. Oh, right? yes. oh, almost just fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, w- once you once not, you put the ring on, it's going to work just like a forty-two lens. It may but... not get to infinity. That's that's the uh, that's because it, it, mm-hmm. when you just add. I mean, I, I call these things uh, Zenit or ZM thirty-nine. Uh, so Zenit yeah. M thirty-nine. That's 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 right. the way I describe them. And right. the the flange focal distance is fractionally less. Off the top of my head, it's fractionally less than M forty-two. Um, so if you just literally convert it to M42 from M39, then you will be, oh, I'm, my, head, my head's going now, but basically you won't get infinity or you you may not get infinity because the right. it, it sits, it's designed to sit slightly closer um, to the uh, to the mount that M42 does. Or is it the other yeah, well, it, yeah close. It, may not, it may not give you an exact M42 flange distance. Exactly. So you can't just stick an M42 to EF adapter on it and then yeah. roll with that. Which is the reason why I, I like focusing helicoids when using uh, Zenit M39 lenses because you can therefore get an infinity focus if you want to because you've got a, a variable focus platform um, so you can get your your lens exactly the right distance away from, from your sensor uh, just by using that M39 to M42 um, adapter ring. But in general... Uh, if it's a if it's a rangefinder M thirty nine or L thirty nine or LTM thirty nine, well, if it's no. a rangefinder, it's not M thirty nine. Period. Yeah, and that's why it should never be used in the same sentence. It's yes. it's LTM. It's like a thread mount, right? So it's and which is a totally different register distance. So it's it it, 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 it if it's an LTM Jupiter nine, it will never work on your yeah on your EF. That's it. Mm-hmm. Well, that yeah. doesn't that doesn't mean that the seller won't call it LTM thirty nine. No, exactly. 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 Seller is completely different. Right, exactly. Yeah. So totally. Buyer beware. Buyer beware. And, and if I'm, um, I, I sold my Jupiter nine a while ago, but the, you know how you can just unscrew all of the optics. Mm-hmm. Even then, you still won't be able to like put it on a helicoid and get infinity. Yeah. Right. Because the op, it's not like um, the lights Elmar. Uh, where the optics are all the front, it stretches all the way. It stretches pretty far back, right? Uh, you know, I'm not so sure about that. 
I, I, I'm not sure. I, it would not surprise me if they're optically the same, and it's just the length of the uh, the, the, the 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 block. Now, if that's the case, um, I don't know if either of you have a Jupiter Nine handy that you can rip apart. I've but got a, I've got a Nikon eighty-five. Uh, that's the same kind of thing, isn't it? I, I don't I don't know if they're exactly the same. But basically, what we're talking about here um, to uh, to clarify for Morgan is. With a Jupiter 9 LTM, if you grab the front of the lens um, around the aperture ring and just twist it like counterclockwise uh, with the glass facing you, basically unscrew it. Yeah. By the way, you, um, you definitely can't do that with the. Uh, I've remembered now. Uh, it's got a definite hard stop. Uh, so you can't do that with the, the LTM nickel 8.5 centimeters. So please do not try this at home. No, not the nickel. The Jupiter 9, you can. Uh, you can just unscrew the damn thing. Um, and if the rear element is not right at the back of that assembly that comes out, you might be able to MacGyver this onto a helicoid. I'm not sure. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I vaguely remember the Jupiter 9, the, the rear element is, is pretty, it, it, it's relatively far back. Yeah, but I, I think, know, maybe I think you're right. I mean, I'm just, I mean, this, this, this nickel, I mean, I, I'm talking about the nickel and it's probably worth just explaining well, we're not talking about a nickel. Um, we're we're talking about the Jupiter Nine, which is based off the uh, Carl Zeiss Jena yeah. Sonar eight point five centimeter f two, um, yeah. which the Jupiter. So that's the that's got the same lineage, and that lineage also carried through to the um, to the to the nickel uh, mm -hmm. LTM lens. So yeah, it is actually quite quite close to the back, much further close the closer to the back than I expected it to be. So uh, I, I, I'm wrong. So there we go. I said it. Whoa. It really is the after times. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're both, they're both uh, 85 F2 sonar copies. So yeah. Optical layout will be similar. Hmm. Cool. Okay. So no, keep using it on micro four thirds. Yeah, that's it. So on that, on that bombshell, um, have we, have we got another one? Uh, I think that's it. Cause the other one was FD, right? Which we did, apparently. Have we? Oh no, that was something else. That was. Uh... Yeah, I think we have. I think we've caught up, which is good. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Right then. So uh, we've done most of the things we were planning on doing. Is there, is there anything else we want to chat about before we disappear? Mm, not really. I don't think so. Okay, all right then. So uh, let's. Um, someone's had quite an abrupt end. We've got, we've come to that. Um, okay, let's thank those people that have uh, made their way to the our coffee page. Uh, that's the place where, if you wish, you can donate to the running of the show. And let me get the right page up because that's not the right one. I should have had this. Should have had this sorted before we started, shouldn't I? But there you go. Classic Lenses podcast. That's us. And uh, I'm not sure if we skipped this last week or not. Um, let's. Well, we didn't have a show last week, so. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let, let's go. Let's go back in time uh, a fair bit. But some of these don't look too familiar. Um, uh, so let's go to start of May uh, because we had a donation from Ricardo Bayon. Um, of uh, Best Vintage Lens 
and I'm not sure if I've said this one before, but it's probably worth reading it out again. Uh, this goes back to the 2nd of March, this does, and, uh, and it goes, here is your reward for, talk for talking digital cameras and adapted budget SLR lenses, and for, and for keeping talk of range finders and frame lines to an absolute minimum. Um, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping to use a, a cup of coffee as a sort of Pavlovian training, Pavlovian training took. Is it working? If I understood, I could tell you, uh, Ricardo. So, uh, but thank you. We're uh, all the same there. And uh, we also had a donation from Lawrence Dunn, uh, Nigel Cliff on the 6th of March saying, uh, amazing how Johnny and Perry gave us another thorough, thoroughly enjoyable show without, without Simon's adult supervision. <laughs> um, so that'll be referring to the show where I disappeared. And uh, we've also got uh, donations from James Thorpe again, uh, Brian Woolworth again, and Mike Epstein again, which came through today. So uh, thank you very, very much for, uh, for the help that you give us there. Um, Right, so uh, Perry, have you got any shout-outs this week? Um, do I have any shout-outs? A quick shout-out to, once again, the folks at Little Garden uh, for helping me put together that build for the Helios 33. Uh, I'm enjoying that a lot, and I will be seeing them very, very soon, possibly tomorrow, uh, to do these Pentax 6-7 mods. Excellent. And uh, Johnny, any shout-outs? Um, I don't have any because I haven't been at the shop. Okay, okay, and uh, I haven't got a shout out either. Um, this is still no six towns darkroom anymore because of coronavirus. Um, so uh, let's move to where people can find you, Perry, on the internet. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Flickr at Perry G or visit my never updated website at perryg.com. Okay, and Johnny. You're not going to find me anywhere because I'm not at Central Camera and I'm not updating my Instagram still. So you're out of luck. You can find me at the Classic Lenses Podcast. Uh, uh, Facebook yeah, what, yeah, the Facebook group and also just on our uh, webpage, ClassicLensesPodcast.com. That's cool. And uh, if, if anybody wants to get in touch with us, what's the best way to do that? Send them to classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email and we will read it. Excellent. And if people are interested in the Instagram and classic lenses, what's a good thing? Uh, that would be uh, Best Vintage Lens on Instagram. So go there to see lots of photos made with vintage lenses. And um, you can also find us on YouTube at Classic Lenses Podcast on YouTube. So check that out as well. That's more of a listening experience rather than a watching experience. On the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Listening and watching computer-generated subtitles. That's it. Captions. Okay. And uh, I can be found on Twitter as Simon4. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. I have uh, my, my website, my, I'm not going to really call it newly invigorated website, but it's not really. It's just the same website as before, except now it's got lens caps on it. And that's simonforsterphotographic.co.uk. Um, where else am I? Um, I do another podcast every two weeks uh, called the Large Format Photography Podcast with Andrew Bartram, um, which is a good listen, I think. Um, so that's just about it um, our music is by Kevin McLeod of incompetech.com and um, really two things to say is uh, stay safe and be like Carl 
and wash your hands. And stay away from me. <laughs>